Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving you all a recap of the Thunders back-to-back Friday-Saturday set. Some of the stars from that game and I'm also going to be talking about Mamadi Diakite. What has been going on with him and the brewing case for a two-way battle because of it with Paul Watson Jr. So I'll be talking about both of those guys in detail today, going to be giving those recaps, and then I'm also going to be getting ready for the trade deadline on Thursday. I've tried to lock myself in this week to do daily. I know that was the plan all of last year. Pretty much did that. Kind of had some slippery slopes. Uh, in the opening months, kind of have to settle into a new environment right now, but we should be good to go. Biggest week, arguably for the Thunder this season, happens to be this one because of the trade deadline, because of all the flexibility they have. So I will get you guys some episodes in the coming days on that, leading up to the big day on Thursday. And to wrap things up with this episode, I'm going to be giving a special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that but kicking things off with the back-to-back set I mentioned it in yesterday's episode now I know the game had already finished by that episode's release date but going into this one there were some stakes out there for Portland they just offloaded Norman Powell and Robert Covington for pretty much a bag of potato chips now Keon Johnson I like him as a prospect I think that's the only thing that I really like for them, and they don't have a G League affiliate, so it becomes harder to develop a guy with a 48-inch vertical, looks to have some shot creation ability, but you have Anthony Simons already, McCollum's going to be back when Lillard's back, Uh, where does he fall? It's just awkward, but they moved out two of their better players, and they kind of entered the tanking battle without officially stating it, and with the loss against the Thunder... They were going to be right there with them. Only three games behind in reverse standings. The Trailblazers started ninth in reverse standings going into Friday. And the Thunder were sitting at fourth in reverse standings. So you kick this game off for the Thunder. Obviously no SGA in the rotation. Got that same fatal blow with the Trailblazers with no Damian Lillard. But Portland was looking to just put anybody out there for some playing time. CJ Ellaby got the start in this game. Tony Snell got to play 36 minutes. Greg Brown, a second round pick, 16 minutes for him. Kind of just go across the board. Trendon Watford got 20 minutes. So they were just looking to play really anybody. They wanted to tap out that potential. And with an opponent such as Oklahoma City, you might as well take a swing at that. You get a fair shot at winning the game. Uh, but also, if you end up losing, you know, you are kind of unofficially in that tank battle now. So that's what they were looking like. And the Thunders camp still had Lou Dort playing in this game. Trey Mann coming off a career high 29 points. Pretty difficult to mess with him. And Josh Giddy was feeling it as well. So it's kind of the same old, same old. Just no SGA in the game. And you look at what happened in this one. Oklahoma City was continuing to pour it down. This was one where it was a close first half battle. Portland actually had a four point lead at 50 to 46, and it looked like the Thunder actually were down for the count. They found themselves down 10 points, 65 to 55, 
But then the three balls started going in. Josh Giddy hits one. Mike Muscala hits one. Now you're in one possession territory going into the fourth quarter, and they were able to get it done. They ended up finishing this game with a really solid 21 to 17 frame they also outscored them by three in that third quarter as well so this was a back and forth one 13 lead changes seven ties and it ultimately came down to the final patch but the thunder they were able to muster up a victory here 96 to 93 got them their third straight win 3-0 record without SGA in the lineup and that is great uh, but also on the flip side you're gonna get that draft pick uh, kind of going in the negative direction if you're looking for ping pong balls this was not the game or the outcome that you really wanted to see but just breaking down the numbers from the contest Lou Dort was stepping up to the plate Trey Mann had to kind of take that torch away from SGA and Dallas but Lou had it here he ended up having 23 points and seven boards in this game with Lou Dort it's kind of been a battle of unlocking all three levels he's had games where he's dropping 20 points but you look at the shot chart he's either only getting it off of layups the foul line and just no three-pointer or he's getting two out of the three, and sometimes it's just one out of the three. He can turn into just a straight slasher and still find himself pretty high in terms of the team totals, but he was able to go out and get it done from all three aspects. This was pivotal, especially in the half-court setting. Went 7 of 15, shot 4 of 8 from distance, 5 of 8 from the foul line, and was easily the team leader in points for the Thunder. Also led the game in scoring as well. Go down the list a little bit more. You get Josh Giddy, 16 points and seven rebounds for him. Also had a trio of assists. All inside baskets for Josh Giddy. Went seven of 15 here, two of six from distance. But he was just looking to find his rhythm around the basket. And when you have a six foot one Anthony Simons and a CJ McCollum who's not that much bigger, that backcourt is not going to scare that many people. Definitely did not scare Josh Giddy on Friday. Trey Mann did not have the greatest of games. He shot 17 attempts. That was a team high. Only found bottom on four, though. So not a good hit rate. Just one of nine from downtown. Got him nine points and three boards in 32 minutes. But this isn't really a, a cautionary tale, right? Like, I think we know with Trey Mann, this is the type of player he is. He's not going to have uh, these consistent games, really, at least not yet. He's just this microwave scorer who has the elite shot creation ability, one of the better ball handlers on this team, and he's able to create open space out of damn near nothing. He gets the good shots. It's just a matter of getting in that rhythm, getting in sync, and being able to do it uh, three, four possessions straight to where you are that top option. And he never became the top option. He couldn't really get in a roll past maybe two consecutive shots. So it, this was one of a, one of the more poor performances for the rookie, but it's really not that big of a deal when you consider the stakes of this game. And also the fact he just had easily the best performance of his professional career earlier in the week. Looking at some other guys, Ty Jerome had 11, Kenrich Williams had 10, and Mike Muscala also dropped 11 in 12 minutes. Lots of bench production here. Only had a nine-man rotation, though, so that's what's kind of fun about it. You're dropping a combined 32 points off the bench. Teo didn't drop any in that bucket, but still pretty good output from those uh, three and even four members if you want to expand on that. And then for the 10-day, Mamadi Diakite 
Dropped 12 points on 4 of 8 shooting, 4 of 4 at the line, just one point away from tying his career high in this one, and he also had 7 rebounds on the defensive side. Bays had 4 points and a dozen rebounds on the game. Looking at what the Trailblazers did, really just the backcourt of McCollum and Simons. Um, they were the main creators, both dropped 19 apiece, McCollum went 9 of 24, Simons shot 7 of 15, and if you remember the battle earlier in the week, Simons could not hit the side of a barn, so that was a big step up for him. Uh, but anyways, that game ended up sinking the Thunder down a little bit in the reverse standings, put them in a spot to where they headed into their last contest needing a loss almost uh, if they wanted to hang as that unanimous number four seed in reverse standings and yesterday they had that opportunity facing another semi-tanking team and the Sacramento Kings absence of De'Aaron Fox and I'm gonna go into that game in one second but first I'll let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country, and new customers can get a free shot at $1 million as the top prize with their first deposit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Void where prohibited. If you have a gambling problem, go ahead and call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Redline, that's 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat. In New York, call 8878-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, that's 467-369. But guys, moving on to the back-to-back -back capper. This one was held in Sacramento. Pretty solid crowd, to be quite honest with you. I was a little bit surprised by that. Uh, but you enter this playing field, down SGA, of course. But a game-time decision was made on Lou Dort, the man who dropped a team-high 23 in the last one. So you're down your best two players. Really just sets it up for the rookies to shine here. Trey Mann and Josh Giddy in particular. You don't have the other two currently due to injury. We'll have to hear on Aaron Wiggins. It sounds like he will be sidelined for some amount of time. We don't know exactly the timetable yet. Uh, but they rolled out Josh Giddy, Trey Mann, Ty Jerome as the third guard in the starting unit, Darius Baisley, and Mamadi Diakite. And for the king side of things... 
Still don't have De'Aaron, so Tyrese Halliburton was the mainstay here. Davion Mitchell, Harrison Barnes, Mo Harkless, and Rashawn Holmes. But you kick this game off, and it's really just one-sided for both teams. And it's not in a bad way, because when you look at the final tally through 12 minutes, uh, it was 36-30 to going in the Kings' direction. But both teams were on fire. 50% for both sides going into the second period the main part of that first though kind of a lot of runs were going on you had a 9-1 spurt for the kings initially the thunder returned with an identical stretch and the kings sounded down a couple of three-pointers to get that six-point lead uh, going into the second frame and then the second frame starts and Mark Dagnall started pulling some shenanigans from last year and this is something that I'm honestly okay with uh, we haven't seen as much just because this roster has come with a lot of surprises and there's been a couple of key vets like Muscala, like Kenrich Williams that are in the active rotation every game now. So you can't really just throw out 19 and 20 year olds for the fun of it. Uh, but Mark Dagnall decided to do that to start the second quarter. Backcourt tandem of Josh Giddy and Teo Maladone got rolled out and it worked to perfection. They were just going inside. If you guys know how Teo Maladone operates, a lot of it comes off the penetration game. If he gets a high ball screen and there's a switch, if he's able to get a step on his opponent, he's not driving immediately inside. He's going to just stall for a little bit and almost bump his player back with his behind. So he gets room created that way. And then he'll start with kind of that second spurt. And then he'll either kick it or take it himself. He pulled that off. I think he had an assist. Uh, to open the second and they were looking good so you had that happen and then once the ones came in really just the same old same old 11 of their 12 made shots came off of twos in the second quarter and they still were above 50 percent from the floor on the issue the kings were two so the kings were up seven points going into the second half at 64 to 57 and then OKC got the run that they needed. They were not winning at all. Any moment of that first half, going to the third quarter, only took them three minutes to get a one-point lead. And then a minute later, it was taken right back from the Kings. So a lot of just teetering happened with the lead. The Kings were still holding to like a three-point to five-point lead for a lot of this. And then the Kings just blew the doors down got on a 10-0 run, ended with a 12-2 run, and it got him up double digits going into the fourth quarter, 89-79. And because of that, Mark Dagnall threw in that towel. That's like when you toss in Josh Hall, Poku, and Maladone at the same time last year. That's kind of the same category. So Poku was playing, Teo was playing, Ty Jerome was filling out that backcourt unit, and they were just going at it. Josh Giddy got thrown into the mix late, uh, but that's about all that that was there. So they go down 17 early into the fourth. It's kind of when you know the game is going to be done. But they started digging. They got the game to single digits. They made it kind of scary for the Kings to close this game out. Uh, but came a little bit too little too late. And the Kings were able to take the game by 10 points. 113 to 103. So with that, the Thunder are still fourth in reverse standings at 17 and 35 big deal from this game for the thunder look pretty good percentage wise 48 percent from the field and 30 percent from three but they could not hit 
from the top of the key. And that's kind of been their biggest three-point shot. If you're not looking at the corners, because obviously they're looking at the corner a lot, the top of the key is the bread and butter, specifically when SGA is running the one. Off those high ball screens, you don't see Mike Muscala or JRE run to the right wing when they set it at the top of the key. They're taking two steps back, and they're going to be wide open with five feet of distance with a, tr- uh, a three-point shot. And if SGA serves it up, they will take it. Lots of these shots were handed to the Thunder. They shot 22 top of the key threes in the game, but only made four of them. So they went 18% from the top of the key. That's normally going to be inexcusable, but they did shoot fairly well on twos, which kind of kept them alive uh, for this game. And for the Kings, they were still able to shoot above 50%, finished 51.8% there, but they also followed it up shooting a 37.5% clip from distance went 12 of 32 had Harrison Barnes in the 20 point club he had 24 and Tyrese Halliburton he was just dazzling it up 13 points and a career high 17 assists kind of reminiscent of what Darius Garland did a few weeks ago where he had about 18 19 assists damn near out assisted the Thunder in that game in the case of this one had the 17 assists for Halliburton Kings finished the game with 30, so he had 17, remainder of the team only had 13, and OKC finished with 23 assists. But the big storyline came from that fourth quarter fight, and it came from 19-year-old Josh Giddy. With him being the number one option with SGA out, kind of just waiting to see him erupt in terms of scoring. And It's not really a thing of efficiency because he's always a fairly efficient player. It's just getting those reps in and electing to take these shots as opposed to kickouts because he loves to kick out, especially if the shot is maybe 1% better or he thinks it's a little bit better. He decided to put his head down and just take a ton of shots in this game, shot 18 times, hit 10 of them, and got a new career high mark in points. 24 points, 4 rebounds, and eight assists for the Aussie. Ball handling was on full display, and the paint play was huge. It was honestly dominant. I think that's the better word for it. When you look at Josh Giddy, first thing you notice is the dude is six foot eight, uh, but then you also notice he's a point guard handling the basketball all the time. That is a straight up nightmare for the Sacramento Kings, and it's the nightmare for just about everybody. Tyrese Halliburton is like six foot five. He looked about six foot flat when taking, um, t- not SGA, taking Giddy one on one during this performance because he just needed that small angle, that small gateway inside, and he would just go right at him. Runner right over the top of him. He hits damn near all of his shots in the paints. Seven of his 10 went around there, and then he was able to pick up a couple of shots around the foul line. Uh, the thing with Giddy. He's still not getting these crazy numbers in the foul line category. Only five attempts in this game. But if he's able to take the contact, uh, contact, it's going to be nasty. Like, he's not the greatest foul shooter, but just getting to the line and getting those opportunities will get him so much more efficient really everywhere and add another layer to a player who already has a lot of dimensions for a 19-year-old and really just a player regardless. There's not many six foot eight guys like him. When you think of six foot eight point guards in the league, Thomas Sadoransky's like the baseline dude. 
Josh Giddy's not a Thomas Sadaransky, you know, <laughs> like he's able to do whatever he wants, really whatever uh, he needs to in some of these games. So just being assertive really helped him out and the efficiency has remained a constant with him. Trey Mann also looked good. He had 16 points and three rebounds in 32 minutes. He still was shooting a ton, shot 18 attempts, hit six of them, three of nine from deep. So he did a bit better uh, than he had on Friday. You can't really fault the man. Um, no, no pun intended with that one. My goodness, but you can't fault him. Like microwave score, just like on Friday. If he has the opportunity to shoot it, if he thinks he can create it, he's going to create it and he's going to just chuck the shot up whenever he needs to. There's not any air balls with this guy. Like when he misses, it's almost a bad bounce. I trust in his shot creation ability and the six man mantra people are giving him. I buy it. I, I think that he can be able to put up these high numbers. It's just, are you going to give him this many reps when you're in the playoff field or when SGA comes back? I'm sure they will right now. And I'm sure he's going to be one of the harder guys to defend if he's already not one of those guys. Um, but yeah, he can put up points in a hurry. Had a couple spurts in this game that got him up to the 16. Otherwise, he was fairly cold. Just part of the motions with a rookie in Trey Mann. And talking about semi-inconsistent players, there's no one more inconsistent than Alexei Pokashevsky. And he was kind of punished for it uh, to start this calendar year. He's been away from NBA contests for almost a month. He joined the Thunder, I think, earlier last week. It might be a little over a week. But he missed three consecutive contests while being active and while being on the sidelines. Due to Dort's injury, due to Wiggins' injury, he got thrown out there for the first time. And he had probably his best game in three weeks this includes g league play because he hasn't looked great there but he had 12 points in 26 minutes to add to that he was also able to get nine rebounds so he dabbled with the double double stat line he was feeling himself in this game you know the highlight clips you saw when he was playing overseas where he'd get it on one end take it coast to coast and just easy layups that's what he did against the kings also had those beautiful cuts where he cuts in from the left wing takes about three steps and makes a left-handed dunk look like nothing like it was clockwork for him and even pulling up he was able to find some success shot two of five from downtown i believe he started two of three from that range though finished five of nine on that pallet. I don't know if he's going to have consistent minutes just based off of this. I was mentioning it while watching the game. Like Poku could have 50 points, 75 points, a hundred points, break the record. Does that change what happens next game? I don't really think so. He's so hot and cold and he's so sporadic. You really can't take these stat lines for much. He hasn't strung up those stretches where you can really assess uh, where he is dominant at because he can be dominant anywhere his frame allows it to be and the way he plays also allows it however you haven't seen the full resume on him yet and being a sophomore I think it's passable I want to start seeing some of those sentiments uh, come to fruition and really form himself into something because he is just packed with potential just has not been able to put it together. This is one of those games where you can really build off of it. This arguably is his best game of the season. So hopefully Mark Dagnall credits him for that and gives him 20 or so minutes 
leading into the next game. As for Teo Maladon, this was also his best game, I don't know, of the season, but definitely since returning. Had 9 points and 1 assist in his 23 minutes, 4 of 5 from the floor, and hit a 3 as well. This was the most calm and collected I have seen Teo in a while at the NBA level. With the G League, he looks right at home. He's able to get these penetrations. He's able to find people off the rolls, and it's no issue. NBA level has caused some issues for him, though, and he hasn't been able to get uh, the isolations or get the half-court scenarios that he became accustomed to last year. And I think he did a good job filling in with a guy like Josh Giddy. And Josh Giddy's not really like SGA uh, in the sense that... SGA is going to be driving inside way more often than Josh Giddy is, and SGA is going to be taking these shots around the hoop way more than Josh Giddy will be. Josh Giddy is able to kick it outside and give new life to plays. Teo Maladone can reap the benefits off that catch and shoot, or also off the reset, take it himself. He's not a bad slasher as is. He just has to kind of work on that floater, work on the touch. I do like him as a passer, though, as I've kind of harped on for a while. So you hope he still gets to play. That pairing was uh, pretty fun to watch considering haven't seen that run in like nine months where they're playing significantly together um, at the same time. And even a guy like Ty Jerome too, who he was kind of in that mix last year to end things. He had six points and six assists. Darius Baisley though was one of the best players for the Thunder. 18 points and seven boards in his 37, six of 14 from the floor did it as a starter. Normally, you find that production while he is with the bench unit. But I want to pivot from the games to a more long-term perspective on things to a guy in Mamadi Diakite. Had damn near his career high with 12 points two nights ago. Yesterday, had nine points and eight rebounds, and he's had a really good stand for himself in this third 10-day contract, and it's about to come down right now, but the door has been opened, in my opinion, for another two-way battle, and it starts with Paul Watson Jr. He's been on the hot seat. This is not the first time I've mentioned uh, this situation this year, but he hasn't really lived up to the expectations he's had. And the expectation was he would be a red hot catch and shoot piece next to SGA. That's why you took the dice roll picking him over a player in Josh Hall who is way younger, way more athletic, and has a more intriguing archetype um, just because you would think Paul Watson has that higher floor. And to Watson's case, he hasn't played a lot of NBA games this season but he's definitely not shooting 46.9% from deep like he was with the Raptors. Currently, he's played nine games with the Thunder, three of those being starts, and he's averaged 3.4 points, three rebounds, and .9 assists in 17.4 minutes. Efficiency is not much better, shooting 34.3% and 23.1% from downtown taking just about three attempts per game. So the three ball has been non-existent for him. Uh, When you kind of break down the film we have on him from these nine games, he's more of an inside-out player. Like, he will take that catch-and-shoot shot, but he was not shying away from penetrations. I'd say specifically in the matchup against the Memphis Grizzlies with that crazy, crazy blowout that I don't think anybody really wants to talk about again. But he just hasn't found the rhythm. So... What did Presti do? What did Dagnall want to do? 
They wanted to move him to the OKC Blue, and he's been playing quite frequently for the Oklahoma City Blue, but he hasn't looked that great in the regular season. And just to remind everyone, regular season for G League play started last month. So it started in January. Prior to that, that was the Winter Showcase Cup. I'm just going to be talking about the regular season numbers. So in nine games with the Blue, he's averaged 9.4 points, 4.3 boards, and 1.4 assists, and 26 minutes per game. The bad part, he has had 2.3 turnovers and has shot 30.2% from distance. And when your assist to turnover ratio sways in the way of turnovers, that's not good. Also, the three-point shot, 30.2%. Not great either. And if you want to backtrack to the Winter Showcase Cup, he was a little bit better. Averaged 13 points. Did shoot 12 attempts to get there per game, and he shot 29.8% from three. So any way you want to slice this, whether it's the NBA level, the G League Showcase Cup level, or the G League regular season level for Paul Watson Jr., it just has not gone his way, uh, especially from that three-point line where he's been hovering around the 30% mark, which for a catch-and-shoot player, a sharpshooter, that's not good. So he's put himself in a weird position there, but also he kind of doesn't have much room to work from anymore. He's 27 years old. The Thunder are rebuilding and he's kind of outside of that blueprint. I see a lot of like Justin Jackson and him from last season where Justin Jackson got waived mid-season. He's a good player. Like he's actually one of the better G League guys with the Texas Legends, had multiple call-ups this year, but at the NBA stage, he did not live up to the catch-and-shoot mantra or that what everybody made him out to be um, when he came in that trade package over last offseason. So Paul Watson Jr. hasn't made that case. He hasn't been a star, and he hasn't even been starting for the Oklahoma City Blue as of last week, and that's deservingly so almost. Lindy Waters has been very good for the Blue, and then you also have Melvin Frazier Jr., arguably the best Exhibit 10 guy they have on roster right now, filling that 2-3 and three spot. I will mention, though, Paul Watson Jr. is closing out uh, those games. So he's not the starting rotation, but, you know, he's also probably that 6th, 7th, or 8th guy in Grant Gibbs' deck of cards right now. And that kind of puts him in a vulnerable spot when he is a two-way player. Two-way guys are allowed to play all of the regular season, and the Thunder are probably looking to rebuild right now, and Mamani Diakite can fit what they are looking for. He has been on their radar for months now. After him getting injured in the preseason, there's been not a lot of chatter with Mamani Diakite. As soon as he's cleared, as soon as he's healthy, what do you see? The two connect on a 10-day deal. He's currently on his third 10-day contract right now. He's doing a pretty solid job. He's played 12 games to this point with the Thunder, averaged 4.2 points and 4.4 rebounds in 14 and a half minutes and he's been a really good option in terms of the screen setting in terms of the rolling and just boxing out and gaining position he's been a nice piece to have at six foot nine 228 pounds he could be seen as a tweener he's played the center spot all his life though so that's where he settles in and that's what the thunder could use and they don't get anything more at the trade deadline and the only red flag i've had with mamadi and his 12 games comes from the fouling he does foul a little bit too frequently 
averages 2.7 fouls per game and if you kind of run that uh, after 32.2 minutes he'd be found out in these games just based off the math now does it really work like that absolutely not it's just something to kind of take into account for though he's getting a lot of fouls in short stints that's not always great for you uh, but it does show he is looking to get physical around the basket and he does it on both ends while he's playing with the Lakeland Magic last season, he was a double-double machine, put up 18 and 10, I believe. A lot of those boards came on the offensive end, and he was one of the better guys off those second-chance baskets, and also driving on some of those more flat-footed defenders in the G League bubble. So I think Mamadi has been easily their best 10-day signee thus far. You look at the pool, I think Olivier Saar was the only man really making a case for himself. Had a very good game against the Kings uh, early in January. Had two blocks and I think four points in a little bit of time. As for the others, the Jalen Hordes, the Scotty Hobsons, and the Rob Edwards, um, you know, they didn't really play enough to get any of the interest, and they might not fit the positional needs. Mamadi does, and Mamadi also has had a history of being impressive. I mean, he was a two-way guy last season, got his deal upgraded, and a lot of people were unhappy when he got waived over that summer, which put him on waivers and put him in thunder hands for preseason play. So I think Mamadi does have some connection here. He's been starting, started the last two games, been playing a significant portion of minutes about the last five or six. So he could slip in, as the 15th guy on the roster because technically they have an open roster spot Paul Watson would not be uh, a guy that has to be waived if they don't get anybody at the deadline they could shift Wiggins's deal to a standard one slot Diakite as the second two-way and pair him with Paul Watson Jr. or they could boot Paul Watson Jr. out of the contract make him a standard exhibit 10 and then give Mamadi Diakite the two-way deal which allows him to stay with the Thunder for the remainder of the season if they so choose and with Mamadi there's still a chance that he could stay for a fourth 10-day contract now only Lance Stevenson has gotten to that one here but it would come via hardship exception so the Thunder would have to have somebody on COVID protocols by the time Mamadi's contract expires uh, so they could get him on that one uh, to fill that spot but then they'd have to make the ultimatum so You'd have to see what happens with the trade deadline, I'd assume, before they pull the trigger on anything, but it's just something to monitor because Mamadi has had bright moments. He's had his career high in rebounds here in his first 12 games. I think he had 10. Also had the 12 points, 9-8 and eight last game. He's just showing you stints of, of really solid play and a lot of energy play, which Oklahoma City seems to value a lot. So, We'll see what happens in the next couple days, maybe weeks with Mamadi. Just know there could be something brewing between those two guys. That's just my stance on it. You guys have a different take on Mamadi, Paul Watson, or anything I talked about today. Make sure to let me know. You guys can hit me up on my personal Twitter at Ben Kreider, or you can hit up the pods at Thunderstick Pod. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.